Hello, and welcome to another episode of Her Head in Films. I'm Caitlin, and I'm your host. On this podcast, I share my thoughts and feelings about the films that I watch. They tend to be mainly art house and world cinema. What makes this podcast unique is that I weave together my life experiences with an in-depth discussion of films. I explore the impact that cinema has on me and why I connect so deeply to it. As I like to say, my head isn't in the clouds, my head is in films. Today's episode is about Carol Morley's 2011 film, Dreams of a Life, which tells the story of Joyce Carol Vincent a woman who died in 2003, but whose body wasn't found in her apartment until 2006. The television was still on. She was surrounded by wrapped Christmas presents. Somehow, she had been completely forgotten for three years. Dreams of a Life investigates her life, talks to people who knew Joyce. It is a powerful and haunting documentary about a woman who was forgotten. It looks at issues of loneliness and disconnection and do we really know the people who are in our lives. Joyce's life was very complicated like everybody's life is. And the fact that she died alone, that she was forgotten, it has always stayed with me and it's always haunted me. And that's why I wanted to talk about this film. I think it is such a powerful and important film. So I hope that you'll stick around and you'll listen to the full episode. As of this recording, The film is available on Fandor if you're interested in watching it. I do go into details and everything about the film, so there are spoilers. So if you don't want to know things, you might want to watch the film first and then listen to my episode because I go really deeply into different things about Joyce's life. Her Head in Films has a Patreon where you can financially support the podcast on a monthly basis and also access rewards and extras. I also have merchandise. So there's Her Head in Films merchandise that you can get on Patreon if that interests you. You can find more information at patreon.com slash herheadinfilms. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com backslash herheadinfilms. At one level, you get a shout out on each episode. So I'd love to give a shout out to my wonderful patrons, Rachel, Tyler, Max, Juan, Iris, Teal, J.D., Vanessa, Spunden, Polina, Olivia, Carolyn, Jesse, Feminist Overlord, Michelle, and Lindsay. Thank you all for being patrons. I really appreciate it so much. If financial support is not an option for you, and I definitely understand if it isn't, please consider reviewing the podcast on iTunes and or Stitcher. If you write a review on iTunes, I will read it on a future episode of the podcast. And I'll leave your name out just to protect your privacy. You can also tell your friends and followers and people on social media about Her Head in Films. Or you can just send me an encouraging message on social media or a comment. It means a lot to me when I hear from those of you who listen. It, it just means the world to me. And sometimes those messages really help me through a difficult week or a difficult time. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Her Head and Films. And you can see links to all my social media accounts. 
listed in the show notes of each episode. So first I'm going to talk about a documentary that I recently saw called Nitrate Flames. It's part of a segment that I've added to the podcast called What I've Been Watching. It's just me briefly talking about this film and why I loved it so much. And then I will dig into Dreams of a Life. recently added a new segment to the podcast called What I've Been Watching, and it's just an additional space for me to share some films with you that I think are important, that I think you might like as well. So a film I want to talk about briefly before I get into Dreams of a Life is a film that I saw recently, and I really loved it. It's actually a documentary. It's called Nitrate Flames. It was made in 2014 and directed by Mirko Stopar. It's about Rene Jeanne Falconetti. And as many of you probably know, she was the star of Carl Theodore Dreyer's famous 1928 silent film, The Passion of Joan of Arc. Not much is really known about Falconetti. She's often referred to by her last name, and that's how I'll refer to her as I'm talking about this film, she actually went by Maria Falconetti in The Passion of Joan of Arc when you see how she's credited. This documentary is essential and really a must-see if you love The Passion of Joan of Arc like I do, or if you're just a cinephile because there's so much great information about it, about the making of the film, but also about Falconetti's life. I wish I had known about this documentary before I did my own episode about The Passion of Joan of Arc, because when I was researching Falconetti, I was really struggling to find a lot of information about her. She was born into a poor suburb of Paris. She became a theater actress. She was actually a very famous theater actress. She did comedies. She did lighter sort of stuff, which is ironic considering the role that she did in The Passion of Joan of Arc, which is so dramatic and serious. And Dreyer was actually just walking down the street in Paris. He was looking for an actress for the film. He saw a poster outside the theater where she was performing. He went in. He met her, and the rest is history, as they say. But she actually lived a very fascinating life. She married, she didn't marry. She fell in love with a much older man. He was about 30 years older than her. She became pregnant by him, but she hated marriage. She didn't want to get married. So she basically raised the child as a single mother. And her daughter that she had then, her daughter is featured in the documentary. I don't know if Helen, who's her daughter, I don't know if Helen specifically did an interview for the film, but her voice is in it. It's her talking about her mother. And she also had a son later on in life. She, her performance in The Passion of Joan of Arc is so famous. You would think that she lived a life commensurate with that. But she's someone who actually struggled a lot. When her older lover died, he left behind a a big inheritance for her. But she ended up squandering it. 
she had to file for bankruptcy at one point because she put a lot of the money into a theater where she produced avant-garde plays. She was really interested in the avant-garde, but nobody came to see them and she lost a lot of money. Throughout her life, she just really struggled. She struggled as an actress. She eventually ended up in Argentina near the end of her life in the 1940s, and that's where she died an early death. She lived a life that you just wouldn't expect for someone who is so famous. To me, she's famous. In art house circles, she is famous. The Passion of Joan of Arc changed my life. This was the first film that I saw that awakened me to the power of cinema, to the transcendent beauty of cinema, to the idea that cinema could be an art form. Before that, movies were entertainment to me. Movies were just something to to watch. And after that, and in the years um, that came after seeing that film, it changed for me. Cinema became much deeper and personal for me. I will never forget her face in that film. The anguish, the heartache. What I love so much about The Passion of Joan of Arc as a film is that it shows Joan of Arc as a human being. So many films about her show her in battle. They show her with the armor on, on her horse, riding into battle. And it's important to have images of women being powerful and being strong. And I understand why that image of Joan of Arc is so popular and so resonant for people and inspirational, I guess you could say. But I myself am not interested in war. I'm not interested in violence. I don't particularly like to watch films about that. I like The Passion of Joan of Arc because it doesn't show her in battle. It doesn't show her with the armor on. It shows her as a fragile, mortal person. It gives her her humanity. It shows her as a human being, as flawed, as scared, as, but also as strong, as standing up for her beliefs during the course of the interrogation. And that is what Falconetti brought to it. That is what she did in this performance. Nitrate Flames also gives Falconetti her humanity and tells us more of her story and the things that she went through and the struggles she had. It's very interesting in the documentary the parts about the making of The Passion of Joan of Arc, how it could be grueling at times, how Dreyer could be very difficult to work for, how the performance required so much from Falconetti. And he would show her the rushes and they would talk about her performance and they would talk about ways that it could be better and things that she could do. She really was collaborating with Dreyer to create this performance. And I actually think that's an interesting and important story to tell that it wasn't just Dreyer telling her what to do and she was automatically doing it. She was part of it too. She was part of creating this character creating this performance, and creating this film, because her face is this film. It's done in close-up. It's just such a stunning film if you haven't seen it. Um, I, I love it deeply. So this documentary was riveting to me to learn more about Falconetti, to learn about what it was like on the set. 
it was a grueling experience for Falconetti, and in many ways she felt like that film overshadowed everything else in her life that she could never really get away from it but at the same time it's what made her name it's what made her famous so I guess it was a double-edged sword in that and there's this fascinating part of the film where her daughter talks about going into a movie theater with Falconetti and watching The Passion of Joan of Arc with her and the daughter is watching her mother watch the passion of Joan of Arc like to me it's so meta in a in a way it's just this fascinating moment of her watching Falconetti watch herself and watch this performance that defined her life but that also was grueling and difficult and and hard on her Falconetti while she was doing this performance almost felt like she became Joan of Arc she tapped into emotions from her own life and her own childhood and the you know her daughter is watching her watch this film but she said that she did not see much of a reaction that Falconetti had a very complicated relationship with that film because of how hard it was on her and how much it defined her and it it's just so fascinating to think about it and the the documentary has given me a lot to think about it taught me a lot i feel so much more informed about the passion of joan of arc and about falconetti and it gives me so much more admiration for her even though i already was obsessed and haunted by and in love with falconetti already but to know more about her life and and to hear about her struggles and to hear about so many more things about her life it 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 was a gift i feel like this documentary is like a gift to cinephiles to people who love falconetti to people who love dreyer and the passion of joan of arc i feel like this is really an essential and must see film and i'm so so glad i watched it and it just invaluable i think i rented it on vimeo i hope i'm saying that correctly that's the only place i've been able to find it is on vimeo and i rented it and i'm so glad i did i loved it so much and i could go on and on about it it's a well-made documentary i think there's so much detail in it the reenactments are really exceptional they the reenactments are really really good and i was so impressed by the quality of this documentary so definitely see it if you can or if you want to or if it interests you it's well worth your time it's only an hour long but it's dense and it's packed with so much important information about the history of cinema about a very important woman very important actress i consider the passion of joan of arc and and falconetti's performance to be probably the greatest acting performance of all time in my opinion i've not seen anything to surpass it in my lifetime and the passion of joan of arc is one of is my absolute number one favorite film it's that the double life of veronique and the tree of life those are my top three for now in my life and nothing really comes close to the passion of Joan of Arc. It is that important and that central to my life that I know I would not be who I am today without that film. 
There are just certain things in your life that you know if you hadn't encountered them, you you would not be who you are. And that is how seminal and transformative and life-changing this film is. I feel like sometimes I say life-changing too often. It maybe gets used too much by me and by other people, but I'm just not exaggerating when I say that. That the Jonah that the passion of Joan of Arc was the beginning of of so much for me. And it really unlocked this part of myself that I didn't know even existed, which is this cinephile that's in me, this person that loves cinema and art house cinema. And this podcast wouldn't exist without that film. So loved Nitrate Flames and I hope that you can see it because it really is essential and invaluable. So now I'm going to talk about Dreams of a Life. In January of 2006, the badly decomposed body of 38-year-old Joyce Carol Vincent was found in her London apartment. She was surrounded by wrapped Christmas presents and her television was still on. The thing is, Joyce had actually died in 2003. Her body had laid decaying in her apartment for three years. No one had noticed that she was missing. No one had noticed that she was gone. She was completely forgotten. Her body had laid there undiscovered and undetected for three years. How had this woman ended up like this? It's a story that has haunted many people since they've heard about it, and it haunted the director, Carol Morley. After she read about the story in a newspaper, she spent five years investigating the life of Joyce Carol Vincent. She put ads in newspapers. She even put ads on the side of taxis. For five years, she searched for any kind of information about Joyce. She gradually put together the portrait of a woman who you would not think would have ended up like this, would have ended up alone in her apartment, dead for three years. Her body was so badly decomposed that no cause of death could be determined. Carol Morley wanted to know how this happened, how a woman in this day and age, could be completely forgotten by everybody. And the product of her investigation, the product of her obsessive search, is the film Dreams of a Life. It is a hybrid between documentary and fiction. It features interviews with some of the people who knew Joyce Carol Vincent, and it also includes reenactments with Zowie Ashton playing the role of Joyce. Joyce's family chose not to participate in the documentary. She had four sisters, and Carol Morley respected their desire to grieve privately and to not be part of the documentary, but she did screen it for them once it was finished. What emerges in this documentary is the portrait of a woman who actually had a lot of things going for her, She was beautiful, she was dynamic and enigmatic. 
she was described as lighting up a room. She was very attractive, especially to men. But she was also a woman who kept people at a distance. And near the end of her life, seemed to purposely disengage with people. And a woman who wanted to be alone. At the end of this documentary, you really don't know that much more about Joyce than when you started. You know a little bit about her. But I think one of the strengths of this documentary is how it gives Joyce mystery. It gives Joyce her humanity too. And it reminds us that people are unknowable in so many ways. I wanted to talk about this film because once you hear the story of Joyce Carol Vincent, you never forget it. I've never forgotten it. And it's haunted me ever since I saw the film because the film often is the entry into Joyce's story and into who she was, the little bit that we know about her. It's almost like Joyce is this puzzle or something and we have some of the pieces but then some of the pieces are missing. And I think that represents all of us, that all of us are mysteries in a way, that all of us are unknowable. But Joyce in particular is unknowable. And once you hear her story, once you hear of this woman dying in this way, of basically being forgotten, of being invisible, of not being noticed, I think you cannot forget it. I mean, maybe some people can, but I can't. Her loneliness was total. Her loneliness was profound. But was it chosen? And why did she choose to be alone? It's very clear that she dis disengaged from her family and was very disconnected from them and purposely cut ties from them. But we're not sure why. So, so much about her remains a mystery, but her story is haunting, and I think the documentary does a good job of paying tribute to Joyce and to trying to understand her, but also grappling with the fact that sometimes we never fully understand another person, and sometimes we never fully know them. Another reason I wanted to talk about this film was because of a recent article in the New York Times. And it brought up a lot of things for me as I was reading it. And I just immediately thought of Joyce Carol Vincent and Dreams of a Life once I was reading this article. And that's when I decided that I really wanted to revisit this film. And I wanted to talk about Joyce I wanted to talk about why I think this documentary is really good and why I think Joyce's story matters and that it has a lot to tell us, I think. And that article was in the New York Times and it's about these apartment complexes in Japan where elderly people are dying at times. And it's about these, they're called lonely deaths. That's what they call it in the New York Times. And the article is called A Generation in, in, a generation in Japan Faces a Lonely Death. 
And of these apartments, the writer says, quote, with no families or visitors to speak of, many older tenants spent weeks or months cocooned in their small apartments, offering little hint of their existence to the world outside their doors, and each year some of them died without anyone knowing, only to be discovered after their neighbors caught the smell. The article says that Japan is the world's most rapidly aging society. It also says, quote, the extreme isolation of elderly Japanese is so common that an entire industry has emerged around it, specializing in cleaning out apartments where decomposing remains are found. And it talks about a woman in the article called Mrs. Ito, who is very scared of dying without anybody noticing it. And so she sets up this thing with a with a person across the way and asks them to look and make sure that each day she moves her screen her window screen or something like that and that if she doesn't move the screen to alert authorities or to alert somebody because she's so scared that she's going to die and nobody's going to notice it for weeks or months so it's this very haunting story in the New York Times basically about all these elderly people in these apartment complexes who are dying and nobody notices it because these elderly people have no connections with anybody. Their families are gone or they have no connection to their families or people don't come visit them or, or for whatever reason. They're just very lonely. And when I read that article, I thought about Joyce Carol Vincent. I thought about how she died alone. I thought about how she was surrounded by Christmas presents, but who were they for? I thought about her television being on for three years. I thought about how this woman could basically vanish and disappear and nobody notice and nobody care. And in a way, I saw a lot of myself in Joyce too. I struggle with loneliness. I live a very lonely existence. I live with my mom. But beyond that, I don't have family. I don't have friends. I've always struggled to belong somewhere or to connect with other people. And I find that over the last few years, I've really isolated myself. And I have become reclusive because of my mental illness that I deal with, which is depression and anxiety and agoraphobia and also physical health issues that I deal with. I talk about these things on different episodes on the podcast. I don't like to go into really deep detail about them, but they're just part of my everyday life. And I've talked about how I've had issues with my family that I don't feel any kind of closeness or connection to them. And I've thought about how if something were to happen to me, nobody would care beyond my mother. I don't have some big extended family or support system where anybody would care about me. And I also, like Joyce, am not really close or intimate with anybody I don't really let people in. I do keep people at a distance. So I saw a lot of myself in Joyce and that kind of scared me in a way because look what happened to her. She was someone who 
seemed to have a nice life. She was beautiful. She she had people that she knew. She had boyfriends and things like that. But in the end, she died in a really horrible way by herself, alone, and nobody noticed for all those years. There are still a lot of questions about how the landlord didn't notice, you know, with the rent not being paid or the utilities. And so it raises questions about society. It raises questions about community. Obviously, nobody at this apartment, or I think it was actually a housing estate, nobody noticed. There was an open window in her apartment where the smell went out of it at one point, but everybody just thought it was the trash. It it speaks to this breakdown of 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 bonds that there isn't that sense of community maybe that existed in the past where you'd look out for your neighbors or you'd look out for people even if you didn't know them. I don't think nowadays people feel that kind of connection with their neighbors or the people around them. So loneliness is something that I struggle with. And that's another reason why I wanted to talk about the film. I saw a lot of myself in Carol, in Joyce Carol Vincent. I saw a lot of myself in Joyce. I think Carol Morley saw some of herself too. She had some connections with Joyce that she didn't realize They both lost parents when they were young. They were the same age. They had even lived on the same street. So for Carol, she was intrigued by the story. She was interested in Joyce. She wanted to make sure that Joyce was not forgotten. But she also realized in in the process of making the film, of learning about Joyce, that the two of them had some things in common. And I think that's what moves me the most about the film is that aspect on the part of Carol of not wanting Joyce to be forgotten. That is the most important thing of the documentary for me. You can disagree with certain things about it, with the reenactments. You may not like the style or whatever. I'm sure there are criticisms of the film. I don't find it exploitative. But any time... You make a film about somebody who's dead and they're not able to give their consent for the film. Issues are going to be raised about the ethics of it and about do you have the right to tell their story? Do you not have the right? Is it exploitative? But when I watch this film, I don't see it that way at all. I see one woman paying tribute to another woman and just trying to learn about her and who she was I don't think it's exploiting Joyce at all. It's trying to tell her story. That's what films do. That's what literature does. It's telling stories in different ways and telling different kinds of stories. But that for me is the heart of it. That is an important part of of cinema for me are, are stories that are being told through it. And I think that Joyce's story matters. And even though she was not able to consent to this film... I think it does pay tribute to her life and it gives us a glimpse into who she was while also respecting her privacy, respecting that people are in the end unknowable in so many ways. But the loneliness of Joyce 
is what stays with me of this woman who was completely forgotten. This woman who seemed to be in conflict with people sometimes where she seemed beautiful and and she seemed happy. But this woman who cut ties with her family. At one time she had four sisters and her sisters hired a private investigator to try to track Joyce down. But the private investigator never got any kind of information. We're left wondering why. Why did she cut ties with her sisters? Her mother died when Joyce was 11. She had what appears to be a difficult relationship with her father. We don't know much about it. Because the sisters did not participate in the documentary, a lot is still a mystery where we don't quite know why she cut ties, but I would think that perhaps she had a good reason for it. But we'll never know. And I'm okay with that. That's the thing about this story is that if you go to this documentary thinking you're going to watch it and you're going to understand everything about Joyce, then you will be mistaken. It will not happen. You have to be okay with the mystery. You have to be okay with not knowing everything because so much remains unknown about her. What's interesting about this story is that When the original article was written about her death in the paper, there were no photographs. The the reporter didn't have any. There were friends of Joyce who read it and did not connect this woman dying and her body not being found for three years, her being completely alone. They did not connect that story with the Joyce Carol Vincent that they knew. They say that in the documentary. Several people actually read the the story about it and had no idea that it was their Joyce, that it was the, the woman that they knew. And several people talk in the documentary. Several ex-boyfriends of hers, the most important really being Martin. He knew Joyce very well. He met her when she was quite young and they stayed in touch throughout the years. There's another ex-boyfriend in the documentary named Alistair, and he was involved in the music business. And then various friends that she knew. And what becomes really clear over the course of the documentary is that, I think one of the friends calls her a chameleon, that Joyce didn't have any kind of ties to, to anybody in particular, that she often took on the life of her boyfriends. So when she started dating Martin, she would become friends with his friends, but she didn't have any of her own friends separate from him. Her life just sort of merged with his. And I got to thinking, a lot of women kind of do that, don't they? They make their life about the men that they're dating. That does happen sometimes. Not all women have really strong friendships. And I was also thinking as I watched this film how hard it is once you become an adult, whether you're a man or a woman, how hard it is to make friends once you become an adult. Usually our most intense friendships happen in our childhood and we tend to stay connected with those people. Or I've even heard of of really great friendships developing during college and people will stay really close friends with college friends. Think of the movie The Big Chill. I think they were college friends, I want to say. 
But beyond college, once people leave these spaces, it's very hard to make friends. You don't always make friends with the people that you work with. You may not always have a lot in common with them. People become busy. We really centralize the nuclear family as the site where you're where you should get nourishment and love from that you should get that from your husband and your children and Joyce was not married when she died she did not have any children and she just had not had a lot of friendships and once she broke up with Martin then she kind of broke up with his friends too later on she would see them at times There was a point at which she was staying at one of the friend's houses because she needed a place to live. She seemed to be a woman who was always on the move, who was very peripatetic in that way. It doesn't appear like she left a lot of belongings behind or anything like that. An interesting device that Carol Morley uses in the film, she has these interviews with the people who knew Joyce. And then she alternates between showing those interviews and showing these reenactments that that she did with Zowie Ashton, who is a British actress. And she took a lot of license, I would say, with those reenactments. And I think that might make some people uncomfortable, the mixture in the film between documentary and fiction. But I think Carol was trying to do an imaginative sort of portrait. She says that at one point, either in an interview or something that she wrote. She says that the title, Dreams of a Life, quote, captured what I was trying to do. Dream up Joyce's life and ambitions through the information I gathered and the people who knew her. So she is, in a way... She's creating her own image of Joyce Carol Vincent, just like the people who are talking about Joyce are creating an image of her. And that image is often very conflicting as she talks to the friends and acquaintances of Joyce. Even they themselves didn't completely understand her and know everything about her. And they each have created their own version of Joyce. And maybe Joyce was none of those versions. Maybe the only person who knows who Joyce was, was Joyce herself. At times, they talk about how she loved to sing. Joyce loved to sing. A really great thing about the film is that at the very end, in the credits, the song that plays, it's called Tell Me, and it's actually Joyce singing. And it's actually very beautiful, and it's moving. I didn't know the first time I watched the documentary that that was her singing, but I read somewhere that that is. And at the very end, when they're doing the credits for the music, it says Joyce Carol Vincent is performing that song. Because she got involved in the music business a little bit through roommates and through a man she dated named Alistair, and I'll talk about him in a moment. She loved to sing. There are ways that Carol brings Joyce into the film She shares photographs. When the first story of Joyce appeared in the newspaper, there were no photographs of her. Her mother was from India. Her father was from Grenada. And she is incredibly beautiful. And throughout the film, 
that's the way people talk about her, especially men. Men talk about her in very sexualized and objectifying ways. She was very memorable to people because of her beauty. But Carol, in interviews, talked about how she thinks that Joyce was Joyce was beautiful, but that beauty was masking something else going on. She was the person that nobody expected anything like this to happen to. Because when we look at beautiful and attractive people, we think their lives must be charmed. Their lives must be perfect. And the way Joyce is talked about is like she was this immaculate person. She was well-dressed. She had beautiful makeup. Her hair was always gorgeous. She was a woman who presented herself very beautifully and that that mattered to her and there are stories of of throughout the documentary of things that she wore one time she wore this blue rubber dress and another time she wore a french maid's costume (laughs) she knew she was beautiful and she enjoyed being sexy and she enjoyed being beautiful to people but obviously Something was going on inside of her and she was hiding and masking something else. But also, I would argue, in this second watching of the film, I noticed the gender things much more than when I first saw the film. I saw the film quite a few years ago. It was released in 2011 and I probably saw it a few years after that. What became very apparent to me while watching the film and that just bothered me was the way men looked at her and the way men saw her and the way that she was so often objectified by the men in her life, whether it was by Martin's friends, some of who talk in in the documentary and who were interested in her at times, to just other men. It turns out, we learn near the end of the documentary, shortly before her death, she actually went to a battered women's shelter. Carol Morley was not able to figure out who Joyce was with and or who the man was that she was running from when she was in the battered women's shelter. But she stayed there for a little while. A lot of her last years are not clear. She left her job in 2001 and she told people different things about why she was leaving and where she was going and what she was going to do. In a lot of ways, Joyce was a secretive person. She didn't really want to let people in. She did not want to tell people a lot about herself or what she was going through. But it really disturbed me to hear that she had been in a women's shelter a few years before she died. And I started to wonder, was that why she isolated herself? Because what comes through in the documentary is that this is a woman who chose to be alone. That she certainly had people that she could have reached out to, like Martin. There's a point at the end shortly before her death, I think, where she goes to see Martin and she needs a place to stay and she's working as a house cleaner 
which is not normally the kind of job that she would be doing. She was not dressing the way that she used to dress and presenting herself the way she used to. Something had changed. And I think maybe the experience of the domestic violence had perhaps changed her. Maybe it had made her very scared and wary and distrustful of people. I like that the documentary probed that a bit and that it did bring it up and talk about it, that we can only speculate. That's the thing about this documentary is that it is speculation in a lot of ways. Each person gives their version of Joyce, their idea of Joyce, their memories of Joyce, but we know that people's memories are fragile. We know that How we present ourselves to one person is not necessarily how we present ourselves to another person. So we're really getting all these different facets. It's almost like a kaleidoscope portrait of Joyce. We're getting all these different facets. We're getting all these different pieces. But they don't necessarily join together to make a whole. And they never will. But her relationships with men and their turmoil and their difficulty recur throughout the film. And it's something that I noticed more this time than the first time I watched it. Maybe it's because of the Me Too movement. Maybe it's because of these larger discussions that we're having about the treatment of women and the violence that women go through. At one time, someone mentions that she had an issue at work with someone who was sexually harassing her and that she left that job. I don't know when that happened. Probably maybe in the 1990s. And then another friend of Joyce's says that men could be very aggressive with her. They could be very possessive of her. That when when they asked her out, they wouldn't say no for an answer. They wouldn't take no for an answer. So throughout her life, Joyce was having to deal with aggressive men, with entitled men, with men who desired her and that maybe she did not desire them. And she was always having to navigate that every day of her life because of her beauty, because of what she looked like. And that that becomes a really big part of the film for me. And I think it could help explain why she was alone near the end of her life. She was only 38 years old. But maybe she went through that violence. She ended up in, in the women's shelter, the battered woman's shelter. And maybe that's a reason why she isolated herself and wanted to be alone. I'm sure that did something to her, something to her confidence, to her sense of self, the trauma of that. We don't talk enough about how domestic violence inflicts a great deal of trauma on a woman, not just on her body, but on her mind and her psyche. And I wonder if that explains some of what happened to Joyce near the end of her life, where she changed and she was different and People who had known her for years and years could attest to the difference in her that in the early 2000s, she was different. And so I wonder if this is not just a portrait of a woman who died alone, but is a a larger commentary on the way women are treated by men and the damage it can do and how it can lead a woman to isolate herself 
and to not want to be around people and to not trust people anymore because of the way that she's been treated. The documentary, I I like some of the reenactments. I think reenactments are necessary in a film like this. If you're going to criticize these reenactments, then maybe you should criticize Errol Morris's reenactments. You know, the thin blue line, that's that's really the documentary that started that. Well, that's with true crime. That was really the first time in a documentary that there were reenactments. I think it's called The Thin Blue Line. So the reenactments didn't bother me that much. I think you have to see them as fiction, as something that is imaginative and creative, that is dreamy. There's a dreamy and sort of surreal quality about some of the reenactments that fits in with that title, Dreams of a Life, and fits in with what Carol Morley herself has talked about, where she was trying to fuse fiction and documentary, and she was dreaming up Joyce in a lot of ways because she didn't have much to go on. She has these interviews she has a, some information, she has some photographs, she has some songs, but does she have a complete woman? No, no. So the reenactments are necessary in that way, and the documentary is about Joyce, but it's also from the perspective of Carol Morley, of how she sees Joyce. But she allows multiple perspectives in the film. We get to see what Martin her ex-boyfriend thought of Joyce and we learn about their relationship. He seemed to be the best one that she had. He seemed like a genuinely nice guy and he seemed like somebody genuinely devastated and heartbroken about her death. He even cries and breaks down at one point. So I, I had a lot of emotion for Martin. We get to see Joyce as she was seen by different people who knew her, but ultimately the film is about Carol's view of Joyce as well and what she thinks about her and how she imagines her. And the reenactments include different stories that people are telling over the course of the documentary, whether it's about Joyce dressing up in the French maid's costume or one time when she's at a birthday party that's held for her and a male stripper shows up. She does a reenactment of that. It's just these fragments and these moments and these memories of a woman who's gone. And we don't know that much about her. And so it's sort of this assemblage, this mosaic of different moments in her life. I found myself wishing that Joyce had left behind a diary <laughs> some kind of written account because that would I feel like that would give us more insight into what she thought and what she felt because that's what's missing isn't it we have the photos of Joyce we have her singing voice we have her friends and lovers memories but we don't have her subjectivity and I think the reenactments are Carol's way of trying to bring that in of trying to construct someone who is fuller and more multidimensional. And I think Zoe Ashton does a really good job of doing that, of bringing Joyce to life. She has a light about her and a beauty about her. And Carol talks about how when she saw her, she knew that she was the one. 
that should play Joyce. The reenactments bring a sense of humanity. It's Carol imagining Joyce, just like Michael Cunningham imagined Virginia Woolf in the hours, just like Kate Moses imagines Sylvia Plath for a really great book called The Wintering. So that is the role of the artist or the creative person, is they do bring their own imagination and creativity to it. This is not a documentary in the purest sense. It is emerging a hybrid of documentary and fiction. Absolutely. But it's Carol's attempt to try and touch this woman, to try to understand this woman and make her real to us in some way, even though she is always out of reach. Always. She will always be out of reach. She will always be unknowable to us. And there is a really particularly poignant reenactment, I thought, where Zowie Ashton, as Joyce, is singing, My smile is just a frown turned upside down. And we we know this never happened. Joyce never did this. But she in the in the film Dreams of a Life, she's holding a brush and she's singing along to this song. And it's a moment of pure fiction. But it says something about the character. It says something about Joyce. That in many ways she did present this smile to the world. She presented herself as this beautiful woman, immaculately dressed. Some said she kind of had a posh accent. And it makes us think about how she was probably living with her own inner demons. That she was not showing anybody and not sharing with anybody. And of course our perspective is limited by the people who wanted to participate in the documentary and the people who came forward. There could certainly be people out there that knew Joyce Carol Vincent and didn't reach out to Carol Morley to talk about her. It's absolutely possible. We don't know the man the the, the man that was abusive towards Joyce. I'm sure there are a lot of people that we don't know. So we're only getting a partial portrait of this woman. We will only ever have a partial portrait. We're getting shards of her. We'll never have a complete idea of who she was or why she made certain decisions. And she certainly wasn't living her life as though a documentary was going to be made about her. None of us do that. None of us live our lives in that way. Well, I'm going to explain exactly why I'm making this decision and why I did that and why I did this. That's just not how we live our lives. Joyce's life was messy and complicated and chaotic and tumultuous at times. And you can't always make sense of that chaos, the chaos of a human life. But I respect Carol Morley for trying and and for giving it a shot because I do think that Joyce's story deserves to be told and I actually I liked that scene of Joyce of imagining Joyce singing 
it's our way of imagining what Joyce was like when she sang because people said that it was something she really loved to do and it seemed to be one of her big passions and it's so weird how in the film some people say she was a really great singer and I thought she had a really good voice when we hear that song at the end of the documentary and it's called Tell Me. I thought she sounded really good but Alistair, one of her ex-boyfriends, says that she did not have a good singing voice. So again, we get all these different views of Joyce. Some people say she was a great singer, and then some are saying, oh, she wasn't that good. I thought that was sort of interesting. And when they heard her voice, Carol plays a snippet of Joyce's voice. And some of them are saying how it sounds like her. And then some are saying that it doesn't sound like her. So there are these moments in the film where this image that people have of Joyce or the way that they remember her clashes with one another. Where Martin's idea of Joyce is very different from Alistair's idea of Joyce. So she was a chameleon in that way, but I think that all of us are chameleons. I think that all of us alter ourselves depending on who we're around and who we are with. She got involved in music in her early 20s. She moved into this flat that she shared with Kirk Thorne and another woman. And Kirk was involved in the music business. And he had people coming in and out of his apartment all the time. This is when we hear the story that she dressed up in a French maid's costume. Everybody describes her as happy-go-lucky. That's the way they talk about her. They talk about how she lit up a room when she went into it. This is not a woman that you would think before she's even 40 years old, she's going to die alone in an apartment. This is just not what you would expect for Joyce. I thought a somewhat interesting reenactment device that Carol used was that at times in the reenactments, the actress playing Joyce would be watching the television and Carol would put the interviews of the people in the television. So it's like Joyce is watching these people talking about her. I thought that was a surreal aspect of of some of the reenactments. But it's almost like her watching other people talking about her. And of course, they don't know her at all. But she never really let them know her, did she? But I thought that was sort of a creative device that Carol used. And another part, another reenactment that she does is that she imagines a cleaning crew in Joyce's apartment. And as different things are being talked about throughout the film, it shows the cleaning crew finding that item. So it shows the cleaning crew finding pictures of Joyce that are covered in dust Because obviously three years after her death, her body's laying there for three years undiscovered, dust would pile up. And so it imagines this cleaning crew finding these different things. It imagines the cleaning crew finding a dress that Joyce had worn that we had seen the actress wearing earlier in the documentary. And... To me, I thought this was interesting because it made me think about, in the end, how much do we really leave behind? 
the dress was once worn, but now it can't be worn anymore by this person because she's gone. Actually seeing these items or imagining these items that she left behind or imagining those Christmas presents that were around her when she died or imagining that television on, there's just something haunting about it. How much do we really leave behind? How much of a trace do we really make? How much of an impression do we make on other people? Because all these people talk about her in such a superficial way. She was beautiful. She was gorgeous. She lit up a room. She was happy-go-lucky. Well, obviously, there was something deeper going on inside of her. There's something deeper going on inside of all of us. Just because somebody's laughing and seems happy doesn't mean that they are. We're all hiding things. And so I think there is something about Joyce's story that resonates with people in that way. Maybe you're not as alone as Joyce was, but you certainly go through life dissembling and hiding the things that you are truly going through. And I've been thinking a lot about social media recently because it has become harder and harder for me to go on Instagram and to go on social media because I feel like all day I'm just being bombarded by pictures and things about people's lives, about people's lives that are like better than mine, that I see people going to film festivals or I see people doing things that I wish I could do. And I get jealous and I get upset and I measure my life against them. And I think about how useless and what a failure I am because my life doesn't stack up against theirs. I'm not going to film festivals. I'm not doing anything important with my life. Uh, I'm just sitting here recording a podcast um, and speaking to myself, that's literally what I'm doing right now is talking to myself in a way. And it's hard to watch people live lives that you wish that you had or to see people doing things that you wish you could do. And it's just hard for me. I get jealous. I get bitter. I get resentful. I'm also the kind of person who's honest. I don't like chit chat. I don't like when people ask you, how are you? And you're just automatically supposed to say you're great and you're fine and you're okay. That's not how I feel all the time. Most of the time, I don't feel okay. Most of the time, I really struggle. I struggle with mental illness and disability. And I struggle with grief and with my memories and loss and pain and heartbreak and how, but you can't tell that to anybody and it's hard to share it on social media without sounding like you're complaining all the time or you're whining. So this podcast is actually an important space for me to be able to be honest about my life. Do I have good moments? Yes. But do I have difficulties and struggles? Absolutely. And I need a way to talk about those things to be real about them. I do that through writing in a diary, writing in my journal. But this is also a really cathartic way to talk about certain things. I recently took a big fall. Um, I was here alone at my house with just my dog. 
and I fell really bad on the floor. I fell on my left knee and my left hand and my hand was actually bruised really bad and it happened really suddenly and it was scary and I'm still struggling with what it brought up. I wasn't hurt really bad. I I didn't break anything but it happened very quickly. One minute I was standing and the next I was on the floor and it scared me. My vulnerability scared me. To think about what could have happened scared me. That I could have hit my head. I could have hurt myself really badly. And I was here alone. And that made me think about Joyce too. This fall actually happened like a week ago. And it just happened to coincide with me talking about this film, Dreams of a Life. I had this film scheduled already. I I know ahead of time the films I'm going to talk about each week. And I had no idea that it would intersect with this. But when I got to thinking about this film, I thought about that fall. And I thought about how, what if something like that happened to Joyce? She had asthma. She was known to have really bad asthma at times. Maybe she was in her, her apartment and she had a really bad asthma attack. And nobody was there to help her. And this was 2003, like before cell phones. I don't know if she had a phone or a cell phone or anything that she could do about it. We will never know her cause of death. She could have been murdered. There could have been foul play. I don't know. It, it's entirely possible. She's she's had a, an abusive boyfriend in her past. We don't exactly know her cause of death. And that's kind of chilling in a way and that that creates a mystery about all of this too but thinking about how I was alone here and something bad could have happened to me it made me think more about Joyce and about what happened to her it could have been natural causes and and something happened we don't know it's interesting the way that that my life sometimes intersects with these episodes and these films that I'm revisiting in unseen ways but that fall gave me more of a perspective and it it scared me because of that it scared me because I was alone but somebody would have found me my mom would have come in and found me nobody was there to find Joyce nobody was there to to help her because what if she could have been helped what if it was a situation where if someone had had what if she was living with somebody, if she had a roommate who came within an hour and they were able to call the ambulance and she could have been saved? She could still be alive now. It could have been a situation like that. It chills me. It chills me to think about what could have happened to her. That's why I wanted to talk about this film. Is I think that it brings up so much. And I was talking about social media a moment ago, and that that is what I struggle with, is that here I am being bombarded with all these images of people's lives that I'm so jealous of, but at the same time, I have to remind myself that they are dissembling too. They are hiding too, just like Joyce was hiding. They are only sharing the beautiful moments from their life or they are manufacturing these beautiful happy moments that are not the reality of their lives and don't 
fully represent who they are and what they are going through. That's sort of my problem with social media is that we're not getting a whole person. When I do social media, I do try to be honest about my life. I've done posts about mental illness. I I share different things that I'm going through on my different platforms. I don't try to make everything look happy-go-lucky perfect. And I don't try to do that through this podcast either. I do like to think of myself as being an honest, authentic person online. That's important to me. It, I feel like I want to be more of myself and truer to myself online because it can be hard in everyday life when you're interacting with people and you're trying to get through the day. It's it's much harder to be honest and to be vulnerable and to get personal like that. Maybe Joyce had a hard time connecting to people the way that I do. I've always had a hard time connecting to people. And maybe Joyce had that too, where she just never felt like she could trust someone. She never felt like she could really get close to them. Or maybe she just had things that she was hiding and she had reasons for hiding them. She did cut ties with her family and maybe she had a good reason for doing that. I don't know. We don't know. But we have to respect the decisions that she made in her own life. Social media is difficult but I think we're all engaging in like a shared lie in a way because nobody's life is that perfect and yet we feel like we're not measuring up or we feel like failures because we don't live life like that well the person posting those photos doesn't really live that life either and so social media completely changes the way we see reality. And Joyce died in 2003, really before Facebook and Twitter and all that, and before social media got so big. But there is this idea that because of Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, that we're even more connected to people. And Carol Morley has brought this up in interviews about the film, how she feels like, in fact, we're not connected that we're just as disconnected as we've always been, that there is a breakdown in community, there is a breakdown in communication and connection. She talks also a lot in the different interviews about the television, about the significance of that television being on. It was actually on BBC One. That's the channel that it was set to. For three years that TV was playing. Carol feels like there's a significance to that, how... Some of us live through our televisions. We we try to connect through our televisions. That that is the version of the world that we see every day. That we watch television to feel less alone. And I think that something similar is at play with social media. That we want to feel less alone. We want to connect on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. But do we really connect? Is it real? Are we really remembered? If something were to happen to us and we just stopped posting, would anybody care? Would anybody notice? Would anybody look into it? Are we any more connected now than in 2003? And I don't really think we are. I think a lot of us might have lots of Facebook friends, but no real life friends. I actually deactivated Facebook. I got really tired of it. I didn't feel any kind of connection to the people that I was friends with on there. 
quote unquote. All of us are pretending to some extent, but it's really important to me to not pretend. And if we can stop pretending, I think it's a worthy thing to do, to try to be honest about our lives and to try to be authentic. Does that mean we should share every single moment of despair that we have? No. I do try to share things that are positive or beautiful, things that I'm reading, things that I'm uh, watching, things like I try to use social media in a positive way to share things I love and things that help me and help me survive. Cinema is one of them and literature is one of them. I think that authenticity is important and then maybe we wouldn't measure ourselves so much if we could be a bit more honest about who we are And you do wish that Joyce could have found someone that she really could open up to. She had reasons for not doing that, obviously. And there may be someone that she opened up to who didn't talk to Carol Morley and who didn't want to be on the documentary. Her sisters didn't want to be involved in it. And Carol respected their privacy. In a lot of ways, Joyce had a fascinating and exciting life, especially in the 80s when she was friends with Kirk Thorne and she was meeting different musicians. And then she started to date Alistair, who was involved in the music business. She dated him in the late 90s. They met in 1989, and I think they dated for about a year or more. She met Gil Scott Heron. She met Isaac Hayes. She even got to go to this concert where Nelson Mandela showed up. She was present there, and she was actually in the room, in this small room, where Nelson Mandela gave some kind of speech, and she got to meet him. And for a long time, someone told Carol Morley that Joyce was there, and that she might have been captured on video. And for a long time, Carol was looking for that footage, and she was scanning the crowds and looking for Joyce and she thought it was impossible. She thought she wasn't going to find her or maybe she wasn't there. And a really amazing moment in this film is the ending. So moving and so emotional because she shows the video of Nelson Mandela and then we see the crowd and we see this woman in the crowd and she turns around and It's Joyce, right there in the flesh, on video, moving. It's not just a photograph anymore. And that's when I think the song that Joyce sang starts to play too. And that's the ending of the film. And the emotions that went through me, like it's still so moving to see Joyce, to see her smile, to hear her voice singing, She does feel real to you. She does feel resurrected in a way, even though she isn't. And you cannot, cannot reconcile what you are seeing. You cannot reconcile seeing this beautiful, vibrant woman with her life ahead of her, because she would have been in her 20s, in her late 20s at this Nelson Mandela concert. You can't reconcile it with what happened to her, that she died alone And nobody remembered her and nobody thought of her. And she went forgotten for three years. You can't make sense of it. And this is the way that Carol Morley describes that ending. She says, quote, 
She turned around once more. It was Joyce, moving and alive. I had found her. The power of the moving image hit me, the power to resurrect. She was 26 years old, ambitious, beautiful, full of hope for the future. She had her whole life ahead of her, but in 13 years she would die, and nobody would know, and nobody would notice. Unquote. That is chilling, and I think that some of us, myself included, feel like that could be us. We could end up like that because of how alone we are, because of how disconnected we feel. But that ending where she's at that Nelson Mandela concert, and you see her face, and you just, you're overwhelmed. It absolutely overwhelmed me with emotion. And then to hear her singing, and you just think, what happened to her? And it makes me think about like what my life has become in a lot of ways. I've been so sad about it. Thinking about myself when I was a little girl or when I was a teenager and all these dreams that I had. I had so many dreams. Like that's what's fascinating about this documentary. It's called Dreams of a Life. It's Carol Morley's dream of Joyce. But it also makes us think about Joyce herself and what dreams she had for her own life. Who she was when she was a little girl and what she dreamed of and what she wanted. And she dies at 38 alone. She dies and nobody cares and nobody notices. That shouldn't happen to anybody whether you're beautiful or not. Nobody should die forgotten. No, Nobody. Even if you're an elderly person in Japan, you know, you shouldn't die alone and nobody notice and nobody care about it. And you want to know how this happened to her and why this happened to her. You just don't know. We don't know. I was wondering, her mother died when Joyce was 11. I wondered if, as she got older, could her mother's death have been something that she struggled with more? Everybody said that Joyce seemed to be resilient and she seemed to get through the loss, but that it did make an impact on her, that it it profoundly affected her to not have her mother. And she didn't seem to have a great relationship with her father. She told people that her father was dead and he was not dead. He ended up dying after she died. He never knew what happened to her because he died like she died in 2003 and I think he died the next year. And of course, her body wasn't found until 2006. Something happened, I guess, in her family and she didn't want any kind of connection to her. But I got to thinking the loss of a parent is something that I don't know if we always deal with it right at that age. You're almost too young to really understand it or comprehend it. I lost my father when I was 16 and it was catastrophic. It was so damaging to me that I've never recovered from it. It was so devastating and I talk about it a lot on the podcast. It usually comes up in every episode and that tells you what it did to me. It was so traumatic to me that it really precipitated a lot of the things that I continue to deal with. It exacerbated my mental illness, exacerbated my depression, my anxiety. It caused my agoraphobia. I never had it until he died. Caused a lot of issues in my life that I still struggle with and I'm 29 years old. 
he died in 2006. But I was 16 when it happened. And I almost feel like I did handle it better when I was 16. And that as I've gotten older, it has become more and more difficult for me to cope with it. For me to not have my father. And and I just think a lot about it. I think about what it did to me and how it just sort of destroyed me. And destroyed my dreams. And how I became such a different person afterwards. And this is me completely speculating. But as someone who's lost a parent when I was young. I was only five years older than Joyce was when she lost her mother. I do think it's something that can resurface as we get older. And I wonder if if Joyce struggled with it at all as she got older. I don't know. I, I can't say. But... It's something that just occurred to me as I was watching it again. One friend in the documentary speculates that maybe she isolated herself as a result of the abusive boyfriend. Because she was in that battered women's shelter. Maybe the reason she started to isolate herself from family and friends was when she was in that relationship. But I think it all but I think that begs the question, well why when she was out of the relationship did she not get back in contact with her family or get back in contact with anybody? We we don't know. Like I feel like that's all I'm saying throughout this episode. Is I don't know because we don't. We don't have the answers to these questions. And Martin seems to really be haunted by his last interaction with Joyce. She came to him. She needed a place to stay for a little while. And he let her stay on his couch for a few days. And that's when she was going to the cleaning job, being a housekeeper. And she didn't want him to know. She tried to hide it. And Martin says that she was the love of his life. But the thing about this documentary is that it doesn't pass judgment on the people who knew Joyce. But it does let us as an audience make up our mind for ourselves what we think about these different people. Why why didn't they stay in touch with her? We don't know. They don't they themselves don't understand it. They feel I think a lot of them feel bad. I think a lot of them feel like she did slip through the cracks and they don't totally understand how it happened. And I think of this film, if you come away with anything about this, if you come away with anything from this film, I think it should be, or it might be for you to reach out to people that you know in your everyday life, people who you feel like maybe you've lost touch with them. Maybe you haven't been as connected as you were in the past. If you have people like that in your life, I think uh, this film will inspire you to reach out to them. I think it will also inspire you to try to stay in, in more constant or regular contact and communication with the people in your life, whether it's friends or family. I think it impresses upon us the importance of doing that, of trying to stay in touch with people and trying to keep those relationships alive in some way because Joyce so easily was forgotten and so easily fell through the cracks. I but I was thinking with Martin, you know, he sits there, he says she's the love of his life. Well, why didn't you marry her? Why didn't you tell her to stay? Why didn't you have a stronger relationship with her? And it's revealed in the documentary 
that Martin's father was racist. That perhaps the reason he never married Joyce or they didn't have a long-lasting relationship was because of Martin's father. So race plays into this film a bit as well because Joyce was a black woman. And it's part of the story. And it's part of, I think, the reason why her relationship with Martin didn't really last or they weren't together as much is what it sounds like. And I wonder if, if the racial aspect could have been explored more. I don't know. Her her family was not involved in the documentary. It's not clear how much race played a part in her life or in her isolating herself. We just don't know. We don't know the full extent of it. But I, I wonder if being a black woman could have been very difficult for her I'm sure it was at times and maybe she had a had trouble getting close to people she felt like maybe she could feel that racism maybe she could feel like feel that it's hard to know but race was part of the reason why her and Martin's relationship didn't really go to the next level the way that you would expect it to from someone who's saying this is the love of her life she was just so alone. They said she went into the hospital at one point and when the form asks you what's your next of kin, she put her bank manager. She didn't put a sister, she didn't put Martin, she put bank manager as her next of kin. This is a woman who was done with people. The she just had her reasons. And how do we know she didn't have mental illness possibly? We don't know. She could have been struggling with some kind of mental illness that also made her isolate from people. I think it's very poignant when one of the people who knew her, and I think this is one of Martin's friends, he describes Joyce as like a figment. He says it's like she never really existed. Quote, we just let someone disappear off and die that we all knew, that we all thought we cared about. Unquote. And it made me think how maybe everybody let her down. And I don't think the film lets them off the hook. The film doesn't indict them, but I think it asks the audience to to look at it, to think about it of all these people who talk about how beautiful she was, how she lit up a room, how, you know, gorgeous she was and all of this. And they just lost contact with her. They didn't care enough to stay in touch with her. And how many of us do that every single day? I'm not saying that they're the worst people in the world. I'm not saying that. I'm saying we're all capable of it. We all do it every single day. When you think about people that you knew years ago, you're not in touch with them anymore. You fall out of touch with people. Sometimes you mean to or you're trying to. And then sometimes it happens and you don't even mean for it to happen. All of us are guilty of it. And obviously the people who knew Joyce were guilty of it too. That they knew this woman. They claimed to care about this woman. They remember her. They knew her. And yet she died completely alone. And they had no idea. And they really knew nothing about her. They were so disconnected from her. It's haunting. It's just... I don't even know what to say. I I really don't. It's just the film doesn't indict them. They have to live with their own guilt. I think that is like punishment enough, really, that they have to think themselves about 
Well, what if I had called her? What if I had done this? What if I had done that? Would she be alive? At one point, Martin talks about how he wished that she had called him, that he would have helped her, that he did love her. They each have to live with it to some extent, that she really had nobody. But at the same time, Carol Morley in an interview talks about how Joyce was not a victim. Joyce had, I think she uses the word volition. Joyce made a choice to be alone to a certain extent. It does seem that way, that she could have reached out to some of these people and she chose not to. And she had her reasons for that, just like she had her reasons for cutting ties with her family. But I got to thinking, like, who were the presents for? The Christmas presents. She had these Christmas presents that were wrapped and she was found with them. They were around her. Were they for the people that didn't even notice she was gone? There's something heartbreaking about that, that she had wrapped Christmas presents, maybe for Martin, maybe for people that she had known. And none of those people noticed when she was dead. But I'm so conflicted about it. Like her, her loneliness is sad to me in a way. But I also got to thinking, I also, I got to sort of interrogating that. Like, does she deserve our pity? Should we feel pity for her? When, what if Joyce really wanted to be alone? Maybe she wanted to be left alone. And what is wrong with wanting to be alone? We're really obsessed with this idea of women getting married and having children to women belonging to other people, whether it's to a husband, to a father, to a child. But what about a woman who's tired of all that and who wants to live on her own terms? Why do we see living alone and being single as sad? So I got to sort of interrogating my own pity in my own sadness for Joyce. Because think about it, this is a woman for much of her life who has been defined by her relationships with men and who has been damaged and hurt by them. Men who didn't want to be with her because she was black, the way Martin was. He literally told people that he didn't want to have biracial children. And that's why he did not want to marry and have children with Joyce. Now, I don't know if he ever told that to Joyce, but can you imagine if if he did tell her that or she found out? I mean, here's this man that you love and he doesn't want to marry you because of your race. That's hurtful. What about this man who beat her and she ended up in a women's shelter, a battered women's shelter? And that seemed to happen a few years before her death. That could have made a huge impact on her. And then the way the friends talked about how men were possessive of her. Men wouldn't take no for an answer. Sometimes when she tried to be friends with men, like Martin's friends, they were sexually attracted to her and would come on to her. So is she safe anywhere? Anytime she's with a man, he's coming on to her. He's wanting things from her. She can never just be. And of course, she has this pressure to always look beautiful and to present herself a certain way. What if she was 38 years old and she was just tired of it? What if she wanted to be alone? She wanted to be left alone. She didn't want to belong to anybody. She just wanted to live her life. Of course, this is me speculating. But I'm just saying, why do we hear about a person living alone 
or a person being single? And why is our automatic reaction, oh, that's sad and pathetic and let's pity them. Like that's something that makes me uncomfortable that even I myself had that reaction that, oh, if you're living alone, well, that must be sad. No, maybe she chose that and wanted that and there's nothing wrong with that. So I was trying to sort of interrogate that assumption that that's a bad thing that she was living by herself. Now, what is sad is that nobody noticed she was dead for three years. That even Martin didn't say to himself, well, I haven't seen Joyce for three years. But at the same time, she was very peripatetic. They said she moved a lot. That she was often in and out of people's lives. That she did not have any really strong, consistent connections with anybody. So she she caused some of that as well, that she was always moving. She was always coming in and out of people's lives. She herself kept people at a distance. And some people are like that. I'm like that. I have cut, cut ties with my family, my mom's family and my dad's family, because of things that happened that were connected to my father's death. And to really negative, toxic experiences with them. So I actually really relate to Joyce cutting herself off from people. I relate to that idea of cutting family off. If you feel like these people are toxic in your life. If you feel like they're just not a good thing. Just cutting them out. I've absolutely done that. I haven't talked to my father's family in 12 years. They know nothing about me and I certainly don't think that they care because they didn't treat my father too well and I just don't think too much of them at all. I feel nothing about them. I feel no connection to them. I would never want to see them again or meet them again. That's how negative their presence in my life was and how damaging it was and the way that they treated my father and things that happened after his death and my mother's family is the same way there were some things that happened after my father died and it's sad because you think that if you go through a really painful difficult experience like that that you're 16 years old and your father dies you think that the family that you have left will rally around you that they'll be supportive and loving and there for you and I had the complete opposite experience so I don't have this belief that family is everything I don't have this belief that you should stay in contact with family no matter what I don't believe that because of my own experiences and so I respect that about Joyce, that maybe she had some difficult experiences with her family, with her sisters. We don't know the full story. She had her reasons, just like I've had my reasons. But the thing is, is that that means that those people don't really know her. They don't really know her. My dad's family doesn't know me. My mom's family doesn't know me. They don't know about my podcast. They don't know about my love of cinema and literature. They don't know the things I write, the things I feel, or anything about me or who I am, who I am deeply. And the thing is, is that even when they were in my life, they never wanted to know and they never asked. And maybe that's what happened with Joyce. Nobody tried to go any deeper. They saw the beauty. They saw the smile. I'm not beautiful. 
I don't have to worry about that. But they didn't look any deeper for whatever reason. And maybe she figured out after a while that nobody was going to try to go any deeper. So why share anything? And why get invested? And why even try if nobody's ever going to take you seriously and nobody wants to really know who you are or what you have to say or what you're passionate about? Maybe she figured that out on her own. They, they all talk about her in really shallow, superficial ways. They talk about things she wore and her makeup and her hair. I have the opposite issue where I'm not attractive at all. I'm ugly. So nobody's interested in me because when you're ugly, people don't care. You're completely invisible in the world. But then when you're beautiful the way Joyce was, people don't look past the surface. I think in both instances, it's all about surface. It's what people can see. And when you're ugly the way I am, nobody cares what's underneath. Nobody cares who you really are. They don't want to know you. And then with Joyce, it's like people only want to know you in a superficial, shallow way. They want to be seen with you or they want to have sex with you. But they don't want to know who you really are, what you fear, what are your dreams. And maybe Joyce just found a way to keep herself distant from people because she felt like, well, they don't really care who I am. They just see me. They just like the way I look. They don't really care about who I am. And the film is really an attempt to try to make her human and to go deeper and to go beyond the looks and to go beyond the outside and the exterior and to find something deeper. And I think it succeeds. I do personally think that it does succeed in that. And it it makes us think about her dreams and about who she was and maybe what she was running from, the demons that she was running from, the things that haunted her, perhaps the death of her mother, perhaps the domestic violence she endured, the the pain of the relationships with men in her life, the sexism and the racism in her life. I think the film makes us think about those things and it brings those things to the surface. Maybe she was just tired of people. Maybe she was tired of the pain of people. Because I find that that's part of the reason I've isolated myself that so many times I've tried to reach out. So many times I've tried to connect with people. Even my own family. At times I have tried to connect with certain people. And I made the first step to reach out. And I got nothing. I got rebuffed. I got rejected. And I think you can only go through that so many times. And maybe Joyce had hit her limit with people. She was always having to live up to something for them and be beautiful and deal with aggressive men and men who wanted to own her and possess her and hurt her and who didn't really love her and maybe she just decided I want to be alone for a while I want to be on my own I don't want to belong to anybody I don't know these are just my speculations my thoughts we will never know why she ended up alone why people forgot her for three years, we'll we'll never know. She remains unknowable. And that's another strength of the film is that it doesn't try to put a big old bow on it at the end and say, well, this is who Joyce Carol Vincent was. I have all the answers. I think if anything, the film just raises more questions. 
I really do. And I think that's a strength of the film. This this woman's body was found in 2006. And ever since then, I think that she has haunted people. I think she was haunted by something or by many things. And I think she herself and her story now haunts so many people. And I think that there's no way you can watch this documentary without feeling something. Even if you don't connect to her story. Maybe you have a lot of friends and your life's really good. And you don't have to grapple with the issues that Joyce grappled with. Whether it be race or gender or issues with men or having difficulty connecting to other people or just the different things that she went through even if you can't directly connect with those things I think the documentary definitely inspires contemplation I think it raises questions I think it is a loving tribute to Joyce I think it is a respectful tribute personally I think that If anything, it will make you think about the people in your life and how much work and effort you're putting towards staying connected to them and staying in touch with them. And maybe it'll make you check in on somebody or care about somebody a little bit more and fortify those relationships and those connections if you're lucky enough to have them because it works both ways. That's the thing, is those connections have to work both ways. You can't be the one always calling and texting and trying to have a connection with somebody. The other person has to try to. It's not a friendship if it's just one person doing everything and then the other person doesn't care and doesn't even try. So if you're lucky enough to have those connections with people and to have other people who also care about you, it's important to reciprocate. It's important to make an effort to stay in touch and to show that you care. That's really important. And I think Joyce's story reminds us of that. Absolutely reminds us of that. I just don't know how you can watch this film and not be affected by it or moved by it or changed by it. And that's what Carol Morley has accomplished, that she has taken a story that was a few columns in a newspaper and she's created a film that has a power to it and has an emotional force to it. And it stayed with me for years and it it does tell Joyce's story and it, it makes it so that Joyce will not be forgotten. She may have been forgotten for those three years But with this film, she will not be forgotten. And that's probably Carol Morley's greatest accomplishment is that she's created a film that makes it so that Joyce Carol Vincent will not be forgotten by us ever again. Because I'll always remember her story. I will never forget it. There's no way I could forget it. I really thank you for listening to this episode. It, It meant a lot for me to do it. I really love this film. There's still so much I could have talked about, but I I said everything that I think I need to say about it. It's it's a personal film for me because of my own experiences, and it's just a story I will never forget and that will always haunt me. So I really thank you for listening. Until next time, keep watching great films. Bye for now. <laughs>